Cool. Thanks, Wes. Thanks very much. Cool. It's good to see you guys tonight. It's great, great to be here together. Um, just before we start, what is it, Kate? A white Hyundai. Hyundai Elantra. A white car outside has its lights on. <laughs> so, do you have an Elantra or something like that? Cool. Matunin, yes. <laughs> cool. Well, um, yeah, we're finishing off a journey tonight. We've been going through the book of Colossians. Um, if you're just joining us, this is our fifth week, and we're just kind of wrapping it all up at the moment, and just been embracing this idea that we're in a season of transition, um, that it's difficult, uncertain, um, and that's, I mean, that's just as a community, but I just feel like there's so many people just around the place as well, just in their personal lives, are in a season of transition, or a season of crisis, or a season of pain, and the idea was, well, how do we both acknowledge that, embrace that reality, but use it to press into God more, use it to trust Him more, to, to look to Him in that season, and, and therefore even turn and flip a season of, of um, uncertainty into a season of hope, a season of fear into a season of courage. And that's actually what God wants to do, that's actually flip hardship, flip difficulty, flip crisis, and actually use it to push us deeper into Him. And that's what we've been trying to do as we go through, um, just like this overview of this book that's just this amazing description of who Jesus is. And then um, we're just going to try and land that tonight and finish it off. Um, as, as, so this is this letter to a church in, in Colossae that Paul, this apostle, is writing. Um, he's in prison, and he's written some amazing things. Like he's written um, just about how he's praying for them. He's written about the battle he's in. He's get the, the, what Joe read out before, this description of Jesus as this, this exalted ruler of all thrones, all dominions, all power, Last week we were talking about Jesus being seated in heaven and to set our minds on things above, not on things below. The new life we've been given because he's alive and he's present and to, and to put on love, to put on compassion and kindness. Paul's like talked about all these amazing things. And then we get to this week and I'm studying for this week and now we're talking about marriage and parenting and slaves. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's a bit weird. It's kind of strange. And like Paul's like done these amazing descriptions of Jesus and this new life and his power. And then as you read through Colossians, as you get to this, these verses in chapter 3, all of a sudden just changes. And it's just incredibly almost mundane. Like just day-to-day -day life. Just the, the practical, most common relationships that people had in the first century. And it kind of looks like it's not meant to be like that. But I think it is meant to be like that. And the point really is is that actually this life of Jesus, this new humanity, is, he's, like, like Joe said, God's creating all things in you. Jesus is alive. He's the first in this new humanity. And as we enter into this life with him, we become new. And one day that will be fully, we fully transformed, but it starts now. And actually the place to work this out is in the day-to-day -day relationships we experience. This is how one author puts it. He says, putting the age of the new life into practice begins at home, begins with the people that we spend the most time with. Maybe that's your husband or your wife or your parents. Maybe that's housemates in a share house. Or um, maybe it's people at work 
the, the relationships, the day-to-day -day relationships we have, actually that's the place to start and that's the place to focus. So when you go through some of these relationships that were key relationships in the first century in this church at Colossae. Now you'll see that they're not all around today, thankfully. Um, but this is, th these are some difficult verses that we're going to look at. And um, just sort of precursor to what we're saying tonight, I'm not going to, I don't have time and I haven't been able to get enough reading in to give a really in-depth teaching on how to understand these passages. Um, we're going to bring up yeah, marriage, we're going to bring up parenting, we're bringing up gender roles, bring up slavery, why is slavery in the Bible? Um, there's a whole, whole lot of questions around that. I'm going to kind of just skim the surface of some of those tonight. Um, so if this brings up questions for you, um, that's really good. And I encourage you to study. I encourage you to, to investigate, to ask those questions. I encourage you to have discussions after and work through together. So I'm just going to kind of skim the surface. But if, if you sort of think that some of this stuff sounds really weird or you're confused, um, we might be able to talk about it a bit more another day. Um, or, or I encourage you to study and keep talking about it. We're just going to kind of skim the surface. And what is so important is understanding the current, the, the, not the current, the, back, the cultural context back then in the first centuries, particularly in a Roman household. So Paul's writing to people in Colossae. He's writing to a Roman household. They had a particular idea of how this worked. Um, so our culture has a particular idea or a whole lot of different ideas, and there's all this sort of cultural difference, which makes these verses hard to understand. I'm going to kind of mainly speak into this and kind of let this kind of play out how, how you guys work that out as, as we go as well. So what's really important to remember, in a first century Roman household, the man basically had the power of life and death. So he basically owned his wife, his children, and he owned slaves. And this was just a normal day-to-day, -day, the way that life worked. It's like a fundamental institution for the way that the society worked. Um, he's the only one with legal rights. He could basically yeah, do whatever. He had no obligation to care or to look after the people in his household. He could just do what he wanted. Right. So Paul is speaking into that context. And what we'll see, right, is he is going to radically transform these relationships in a household because of Jesus. Particularly, we've been talking about this idea that in Christ, these barriers break down, that we're now one. He says there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no more slave or free in Christ. In, in, in Galatians, it says there's neither male or female. These distinctions that we've had before start to break down in Jesus, and we're one. We all stand before him on level ground. But Paul's saying, well, how does this church work this out right? They know this truth, but how do they work it out in their society? And as we'll go, we'll see there's some complications around how that works as well. So this is where, we, this is where we're going. It gets really mundane, and you've probably heard some of these verses before. Colossians 3.18, wives, speaking to them in this context, submit yourselves to your husbands. Now, that was not a surprising thing for Paul to say in first century Roman context. That made complete sense. Although it is interesting, he doesn't say obey, he does say submit, this like putting under. But then he says this, as is fitting in the Lord. He's saying to the wives in, in this context, right, that actually, yes, you've been given this new life in Jesus, and actually, your husband is not your Lord. Jesus is your Lord. Nevertheless, he still says to them, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Then he says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. 
And again, that, that makes complete sense to us, but in first century Roman context, that was radical, right? The husband did not need to love his wife. He could be harsh with her. He could do what he wanted to her. So Paul is actually saying, no, you're not the Lord to the man. Jesus is the Lord, and he calls you to love your wife and not be harsh with her. The, there's a parallel passage to this in Ephesians, also written by Paul. It's very similar. And this, the Ephesians passage goes a bit further. He says this, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Again, this is radically countercultural. He's saying, no, the husband's not the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. And Jesus as Lord dies for his people. So the husband role is actually to die, to give up and put himself under his wife's interests and to love her and care for her and put her first in everything. So you see how just Paul doesn't, doesn't, he, he doesn't just like toss out this institution, but he radically redefines it around Jesus so that it's almost not recognizable anymore. One author puts it this way. He says, The husband and the wife are mutually coming under one another in love and respect and care. This is the gospel relationships lived out. He says this, the fact that the husband is the leader means he is the first one responsible before God to lay himself down for the well-being of another. It's not dominance. It's not authority. It's actually giving up of, respons- of rights for the sake of another. Another author puts it this way, the wife must forego the temptation to rule her husband's life using perhaps one of the many varieties of domestic blackmail. They're not trying to, the, the wife is not to do, dominate. The husband also must ensure that his love for his wife, like Christ for his people, always puts her interests first. And it's really interesting, right? Some, some, the, obviously, these verses get misused often, but these, they don't say, it never says here, right, wives, force your husband to love you. It doesn't say that. Paul's actually saying, Submit as is fitting in the Lord, regardless of him. It's got nothing to do with him. It's got to do with Jesus. And he's saying, husbands, love your wives, or husbands, love your wives as Christ gave up for her. It's got nothing to do with her. It's to do with Jesus. So whether she deserves it, whether you feel like it, whether, whether it, it, you're enjoying it, doesn't matter. It's, it's continual, giving, sacrificial love. And like, that is hard. Right, that is radical. That is this kind of transformation of relationships that this new life in Jesus creates, this self-giving love. He then goes on and starts talking to children and parents. And he says, children. Now, already that's radical in the first century, right? People didn't address children as thinking, responsible, acting agents. All right, they're just sort of not regarded. But Paul, in this letter, you can imagine it's getting written out, read out, and all of a sudden, now the children who are present are being addressed. And Paul says to them, children, obey your parents in everything. Again, that's not really surprising. That, that makes sense in the institution. But again, he says, for this pleases the Lord. Again, your parents are not your Lord. Jesus is the Lord. But actually, coming under trusting, listening to your parents actually pleases God. And it's actually good most of the time. That, that actually children, when they obey and listen to their parents, things actually go well. Things actually work out. 
And, but then he says this, fathers, again, the father had the ultimate authority in the household, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. This is this idea, right, that actually he's saying to the father, no, they're not your property. You can't do whatever you want with them. Actually, you have a duty to discipline yourself and actually not treat them just how you feel, but treat them in a way that's best for them. Again, this, this loving and this care. The Ephesians parallel to this part says, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Again, the children belong to Jesus. They're not the property of the parents. And actually, the parents' responsibility is to bring them up in the Lord, not just to do it they want to them. So again, this relationship, children, parents, is radically redefined around Jesus as Lord. Now, we get into stuff that gets a bit confusing. So, all right, slaves. I'll just read this and I'll give you some context. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence in the Lord. Now, you're probably thinking, what the heck? Right, why is Paul telling slaves to obey their masters? Why is there slavery in the Bible? And again, I can't, unfortunately can't go into a whole lot of detail with this, and there's, there's plenty of other people with way more knowledge of the cultural context that could give much better talk on this. But some, some basic things, right. Firstly, slavery back then was very different to our idea of kind of modern slavery. So our idea of kind of modern slavery is, is mostly based around race. It's um, pretty much for life. Um, and it's just terrible, terrible treatment, right? That, that's, that's kind of the, the modern conception of slavery is like that. Whereas slavery in the first century Rome was a very normal day-to-day thing. Actually, some things I was reading say like 30 to 50% of people in this society were slaves. That, that you just look around everywhere and, and they'd you wouldn't be able to tell who's a slave and who's not. They, they would wear the same clothes as other people, um, be just going about day-to-day life, and there would be a whole lot of differences in the sense that some might have quite well-off masters, and actually then the slave might be quite well-off. They'd actually have a fairly good job. Others had terrible jobs and were treated poorly. Um, there was the option of freedom, that sometimes people would be able to get enough money to buy their freedom. So it wasn't this lifelong thing. Freedom was possible. Um, and uh, there's one other thing I was going to say, I've just forgotten. But um, basically, right, oh, and, and as well, some people would even sell themselves into slavery. So if they became bankrupt, if they ran out of money, um, sometimes it might actually be better to be a slave and we have food and have, it was almost like a, a job than being free and in poverty. So it, it was different, but at the same time, there are these similarities that still make it a terrible practice in that one person was the property of another. They, they were not treated as a person, but as an object. And by law, if you had a slave, you could do what you wanted, and, and people could. You could kill them. You could mistreat them. You, could, you had no obligation to care for them or look after them. They were a piece of property in the same way you'd have a car. And something that I was reading was saying, well, some people have really nice cars, and they look after them, and some people have really bummy cars, and they don't. And, and that's almost, that was the conception. That was how people thought about slaves, which is terrible. Right. But interesting as well, we sort of ask the question, well, why doesn't Paul just get rid of this terrible thing? Especially if he's teaching and telling people that we're one in Jesus. 
that in Jesus, there's no slave or free. We're, we're one. These barriers get broken down. Why doesn't Paul just tell all the slaves that actually they can just go free? And again, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, again, that, that, was just such a cra- that would just be such a crazy idea back then. It would be, be like, how would anything work? How would society work? Um, it would be like us saying we're not going to live with cars anymore. So it was, that was just a, a very, very, very extreme back then. But the other thing is, or two other things, one is, this was not a democracy. And if Paul got up and started a protest to free the slaves, it would last about a minute, and, and Paul would be dead. Because that's how it worked, right? Like, this is not a democracy that you can't just get a political party. Like, like, like if he protested like that, it's, it's not going to work. It's not going to go down well. As well, if Paul is speaking this message and saying, actually, all slaves are free in Jesus, just break away, break away from your master, like, claim your freedom, like, that's just going to cause a revolt, right? And actually, a revolution, which is not really what he wants. But in some ways, he creates a different kind of revolution, a more subtle revolution, in that he's taught, right, he's taught the church there's no slave and free. Yet, he says, slaves, obey your masters. This is this crazy thing that he's saying to them, actually, again, they're not your master. Jesus is. But because you're free in Jesus, you're free to still serve them as your master. And then he says, do it not only when they're looking at you and seeing you, but serve them with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. He says, whatever you do, work at it with your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know from the Lord you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. He actually is saying to them, actually, you're not serving them primarily. You're serving Jesus and work for Jesus. And then he treats them as moral, responsible agents. He says, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. He's saying like to the slaves, just because your master mistreats you doesn't mean that you can mistreat them. God is still going to hold you accountable for that. God does not show favoritism. And actually, it's not just kind of off the hook, you can just revolt and have violent revolt. It's like, no, God is actually going to hold accountable for that. But then he speaks to masters as well. He says, masters, provide for your slaves what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And the, the, the parallel in Ephesians, again, Paul gives these instructions to slaves to, to obey and to follow, to serve their master. But then when he talks to masters, he says, masters, you do the same to your slaves. And it's this crazy thing, right, that he's calling masters to treat the slaves as equals. And in doing so, Paul's actually undermining the basis of slavery. Because the basis of it back then was that slaves are not really people. And Paul is undermining that and saying, no, they are. Nobody owns anybody else. Jesus is the only master. Masters are owned by Jesus. Slaves are owned by Jesus and actually undermines it. And it does it without causing this, it's, it's this revolution, right, that doesn't, it doesn't spread through violence, 
or, or breaking away, but actually through this transformed relationship in a home. This is, this is what Paul is saying, that the gospel, this good news, is to transform relationships at home. And, and, and the Roman household living like that right, would look so radically different that people would probably just think it's weird. And today, the call is that this new life in Jesus, this new humanity, would radically transform our relationships at home, that they look different. They look different to our culture, that they, they, we actually apply them and work them out. And again, we kind of have this thing in our culture a little bit where it's like at home, it's just our private life. What, what we do at home is our personal business. And that's okay, but Jesus is the Lord of the house. And, and Jesus is still Lord there. And that's the first place he's to be Lord. And we're to start and work it out there. And this is a challenge, and this is hard. This is, this is a challenging quote as well from one author. He says, one can do heroic battles in the public arena, but lose the war in the privacy of the home. And actually, we, we are called, therefore, to elevate the place of the home and actually focus our attention on working out this new life there first. So relationships at home. I'm going to go over the next little bit quickly. Paul then starts to talk about prayer and praying into what he's doing. This is what he says in Colossians 4. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in change. So when Paul started this letter, he talked about how he's praying for them and thanking God for them, and, and he's proclaiming this mystery of Jesus. As this letter starts to finish, Paul's inviting them into his work. He's wanting them to pray for him, pray for opportunities for him to speak and tell people about Jesus. He says, pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. So he, he, he's in, inviting them to enter this mission of God that more people would know Jesus. And then he starts talking about relationships with their neighbors or people who aren't, aren't followers of Jesus. He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It's this idea that they're in these relationships with people who are not in the faith. But these relationships would not be like boring, mundane relationships, or they wouldn't be relationships of just like preaching at them like a, like a formula gospel presentation. It's actually conversations that are full of grace, seasoned with salt. There's this energy, there's this life, that, that's the life of Jesus that, that comes out. And actually this ability to answer questions and share and what he's saying is that actually this new life is to transform our relationships with our neighbors. That actually we enter the mission of God. That God is, God is wanting to bless the world. He's wanting to work this out with others. And we let this, this new life transform the relationships with the day-to-day -day people that we live around, that we do life with, that we work with. Again, this can be hard because it's like, well, how, how do we do that? Sometimes like we just stay back in the church and we just stay away, or sometimes we go into the world and then start to do things that they do, and like, how do we balance this line? And again, I read this quote in the Spirit and the Mission series not long ago. I just think it's so good. This lady says this, the way to avoid these two mistakes is to engage in mission. We are sent into the world as Christ's 
representatives. So we can neither conform to it or we cease to represent him, nor withdraw from it or we have no one to represent him to. She's saying actually the thing is to see ourselves, to view ourselves as sent, as missionaries, as representatives of Christ. Therefore, we need to be connected, but we need to be different. We're very different, but we can't be withdrawn. And there's this, this balance, these things go together. So relationships with our neighbors are to be transformed by this new life in Jesus. If you keep going, last, last point here with this, this last little bit of Colossians. You start to write, you know, you know some of the letters in the New Testament, right? You get to the end and it's just like, oh, and greet this person and greet this person. They've all got really weird names. And, and it's like, oh, that doesn't really matter. That's not really important. Like, it's easy to sort of skip over that stuff. But this letter in particular, we learn some really, really interesting stuff in what Paul says at the end of this letter. So again, he's, he's just writing a letter, but, but God is speaking through him as he's writing. So it's both this human letter and this divine word. These two things go together. And he says this, Tychicus, which is a cool name, right, will tell you all the news about me. So this is, this is what's happening, right? Imagine Paul's writing this letter from prison. So there's no mailman. Someone needs to deliver the letter. So Tychicus is actually the person delivering, delivering the letter. So imagine this, this man is carrying this letter to the Colossian church. He will, and when he's going to get there, he's going to tell more news about Paul. He says, he is a dear brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that may he, he may encourage your heart. So he's not just sending the letter, but he's sending this messenger to bring encouragement, to bring strength to this community. He then says this, he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. So this is the picture. Paul's writing, he's sending Tychicus, and with Tychicus is Onesimus. Now, what we find out is that Onesimus is a very interesting character. And there's actually, there's actually two letters that are being delivered. There's actually two books in the Bible that are going together. There's another, this, you might have heard of this really small book in the Bible called Philemon. It's sort of in the back of the New Testament. It's, it's not even a chapter. Like, it's just verses because it's so small. And it's another letter. And this letter is about Onesimus to Philemon. Now, Onesimus is a slave, and Philemon is his master. And what we find out is that Onesimus was in Colossae, but he broke away. He escaped from his master. And it seems like he stole from his master as well. So he's left, he's a runaway slave. Somehow, he meets Paul and becomes a Christian and starts to support Paul while he's in prison and he's been caring for Paul. And Paul also knows Philemon, the master, and it seems like he's had something to do with him becoming a Christian. So Paul's got this interesting situation, right, where he's met and being helped by this runaway slave who's stolen from his master. Now he's a Christian, but now he knows the master, and he's back here. And again, this is in the first century, right, when slaves own, Mount Master's own slaves, particularly if a slave was to, to break free, there'd be significant consequence, to particularly to steal, right? Like, that, that would not be handled well, like, especially if you think, if, if that just gets let off the hook, how that's going to affect other slaves. Like, like, you can imagine he's quite angry. Like, this is, a, this is a significant, serious 
situation. So we've got a crazy runaway slave, right? What's going to happen? Now, the really interesting thing is if you go and read this letter of Philemon, Paul is writing it to, to Philemon, right? And he's appealing to him to forgive, to forgive Onesimus, right? He's run away, he's stolen from him, he's appealing for him to forgive him. But he does more than that. Listen, listen, I'm just going to read a little bit of Philemon. He says this, Perhaps the reason he, so Onesimus, was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. You see what he's doing? Like he's saying, he's sending him back, and he's saying to forgive him, but not only to forgive him, but no longer receive him as a slave, but as a brother. He keeps going and says this, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. And then he just adds this. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's such an interesting letter. Like, Paul, if you read it, it's really interesting. He, he's kind of like beating around the bush sometimes. There's another part where he even is like, I, Paul, I'm just an old man. Like, can't you just forgive this? Like... And then, and then at the very end, he's like, and by the way, I'm going to come visit. Like, like, like so he's going to follow this up. So it's, it's really interesting. But and he, sa- he says stuff like, I could command you to forgive him, but I want it to be your choice. I want you to, to have the choice and, and ability to offer that and so forth. But he's still really strong on it. But you imagine, this is revolutionary, right? A runaway slave who's stolen who's to be forgiven and welcomed as a brother. Imagine what that would be like for Onesimus, right? He's, he's walking with this letter back to his master who could legitimately kill him, right? Brand him, do all kinds of things to him. Onesimus, right, has, has had to deal with his fear and humble himself and come back and ask for forgiveness, right? Not knowing how it's going to be responded to. Imagine Philemon, right? He's, he's potentially probably angry, maybe, um, yeah, maybe being ridiculed. Don't know what people are going to think of him if he welcomes his slave back. Like, that's not what you do. Like, people might think of him as weak. Or, so he, he has to deal with his pride and humble himself and release it and offer forgiveness. And this is just a beautiful, real-life example of what Paul's talking about, that this new life in Jesus transforms relationships with believers as well. Like radical forgiveness. Like crazy. Like, like that, that, that was incredibly countercultural. I don't know what that looks like today, but this new life is to work itself out in our lives, that the forgiveness, the love, the grace, the... The, the community, the family, is to be countercultural, transformative. So what we've said is this new life, right, works itself out, relationships at home, relationships with neighbors, relationships with believers. One author, again, l- looking at through this passage, notices this common theme that is all about 
Jesus being Lord. He says this, the Lord, the Greek word is kyrios, appears seven times in this section. These are some of them. He says, it is fitting in the Lord. Do what is pleasing in the Lord. Fear the Lord. Work as you are working for the Lord, not just human masters. The Lord shows no partiality and will render judgment and reward. Serve the Lord. Know that you have a Lord in heaven. He says the motivation behind each of Paul's commands is charged with the phrase in the Lord. Christ's lordship imposes itself on all aspects of our life. What we're saying today is this new life in Jesus changes all our relationships. They're all now to be lived through Jesus and his kingdom of self-giving love. That's the filter, right? The filter is not this person's behavior. The filter is the Lord. That because of Jesus, his love for us changes and transforms our heart that we love others, whether they deserve it or not. And, and, and right, that is hard. That is, that is revolutionary. That is crazy. That's the way of Jesus. Right? That's what he did. That's what he's done for us. And that's what it actually means to be truly human. That, that's what Jesus, the image of God, the perfect human, that's how he lives. That's actually how we're called to live. And author says it this way, Christ releases you to be truly human. And you must now learn to express yourself according to the divine pattern, not in self-assertion, but in self-giving. Actually, that's what God's like, this continual self-giving love. And that's what we're being created and made into his image, that we begin to live lives of continual self-giving love, forgiveness, grace, kindness, not just as ideas, but in the mundane, the day-to-day relationships that we live. Particularly as we kind of just finish up, particularly as we're saying, the season of transition, the season of uncertainty, in, 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 in difficulties in our lives, is, is the key time, right, to come and to press in to Jesus and come back to these simple basics of the faith and saying, actually, Jesus, we're in for you. We don't know what it looks like, but we're in for you. We want your new life to transform our relationships. We want to set our mind on things above and, and realize that you are alive. You are, you are risen. You are true. And we want this new life to transform us. We come back and say, remember the cross and that, that we are worse than we thought, right? But we are loved and we are forgiven because of what he's done. We come back and, and remember and remind ourselves that actually, that's right, this is a battle. This whole period of time until he comes back is a transition. It's not meant to be easy. It's going to be hard. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be losses. But we fight. And we fight with the weapons of his kingdom. Prayer, the spirit, the word. We contend. We struggle with his power. And we embrace that and remind ourselves, actually, yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what's happening. This is not our home. We're waiting for him, and he's going to renew it, and then it'll be good. And we come back and start from this place of just thankfulness for what he's given us. Say, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. We pray and ask for his will. 
and in everything come back and say, actually, Jesus, you are, you are this amazing, most worthy, most important person in our lives, in our hearts, and this is all about you, and this is all for you, and actually, we want to offer ourselves to you. So as, as we, we, we embrace, and we're talking about transition, but we're actually going to walk through it, and, and it's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, and it's going to require us to really focus on Him. As, as we're even just praying, praying before, um, B was praying, just saying, He's the one that doesn't change. Right, we center on what doesn't change, on His presence, on His love, on His, His power, His Lordship, as we work through when other things may change and look quite different. So as, as we respond tonight, um, we're just going to sort of create some space um, just for what God wants to do and just, just for what you, how you want to engage with Him. Um, maybe if you guys want to get ready, get ready to play. Um, and yeah, we, we, we put communion a bit earlier tonight so that this could just be some time just to respond. Um, and I think tonight, tonight's just an opportunity just to, just to say, actually, again, God, I'm coming back and saying, yes, I'm in. I'm in with you, Jesus. I give myself to you, Jesus. Actually, this is for you, and this is all about you, and I just want what you want. That's going to look different. It's going to be hard, but I'm in. And maybe, maybe that's where you're at tonight. Tonight's just an opportunity just to step into that intentionally again. Maybe as well, this, this stuff has brought up some big heart things, right? Like, like big things that, that affect our hearts massively. Marriage, parenting, right? Relationships, forgiveness. And maybe God is, is doing something in your heart tonight. And we just want to create some space just to respond. To, some, some space to, to, to listen to Him, to what He's calling out, what He wants to transform, what He wants to change. Um, and I just encourage you to respond how you'd like to respond. If you'd like to come forward and, and, and just recommit, rededicate to Him, if you'd like to come forward and receive prayer, even if you'd just like to pray with just people next to you and just say, hey, can you just pray for me? Like, let's just, let's just pray for each other. Like, let's just support you. Like, we're, we're all just one family, and we can just pray and support and love each other. So we're just going to create some space just to respond um, to what God wants to do. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll do that. Actually, maybe, maybe we could just all stand. We'll stand together and do that. Jesus, we just, um, just are here before you and just re-declare that, that you are the Lord. That, and, and you are the Lord like no other. That you are the Lord who came to earth and became a servant and went to the cross and you are rightly exalted above all. And Jesus, just we just want to see you and know you. Just ask that, that you would be revealed to our hearts, that we would just see just how good you are, God. Just how amazing you are. Just how kind you are. Just how great the depths of your love is, God. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would just meet us in this space tonight. God, would you minister to our hearts? particularly, God, hearts that are hurting. God, would you bring healing and life and, and just your rivers of living water? And Father, God, would you just, just call us out into your vision for this world, God? 
into your vision for your kingdom, into your vision, Jesus, for what you have accomplished and what you want to do. And Jesus, would you just enable us to step in and say, yes, we're in. We're in with you, Jesus. We want what you want. And whatever that looks like, we want you. So God, just have your way, have your way in our hearts, have your way. And we just offer you this time of transition, Jesus, and say, we need you. We need you to speak to us, God. We need you to lead us, God. We need you to transform us, God. Would you just come and just breathe your rivers of living water over us, God? And would you transform us and renew us and use us for your purposes, whatever you want. So Father, we just just say, come, have your way in us, we pray. 